0: Amen. Please be seated. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. As we consider this morning what it is to proclaim the name of the Lord our God about whom we've sang. As you're turning, let me give you just a couple of housekeeping notes in Mark chapter 6 is where you're headed. Um, we do have um, a fellowship this evening. So uh, we invite you. It's going to be spaghetti and bread. If you can bring something to go with it, that'd be fantastic. A dessert. I like pie. Um, I like homemade ice cream, so there's some options if you needed some. Uh, or if you want to bring uh, a salad or something that goes along with spaghetti, we would encourage you to do that. Also, um, because of some traveling things, our folks who do so much for us in the kitchen could use a little help. So if you think you could uh, be of a benefit to them, and just in case you were curious, if you can run the sink, you can be of a benefit. Um, they could use a little bit of help about four o'clock this afternoon, but right after service, right after service, Adam, I'm putting you in charge of this right now, right after service, we need some tables set up in the gym. So Adam is going to be in charge of that. And, uh, uh, if we could get that done, I would, we'd really appreciate your help. If y'all could help us for five minutes, that keeps somebody else from having to spend 35 minutes getting it done. So, all right, by now you should have made it to Mark chapter 6. We got that out of the way, and we can get to the good stuff. Hey, we do have baptism coming up. If you know that you're ready to be baptized, if you think you might be ready to be baptized, if you just have an inclination that you need to be baptized, but you don't know if you're ready or not, we need to talk to you about it. So uh, we've scheduled two dates for baptism, the 19th and the 26th of August, so that you don't have an excuse. So you can say, oh, I won't be here on the 19th. Well, good, you'll be back on the 26th, and then we can do baptism on that day. So I would hope that you would uh, uh, join with us with that. Please plan to be here on those days, but if you need to be baptized, um, uh, fill out the form online. It's right there on our website, and that form just sends us an email to let us know, and it gives us a record so that I don't forget to get with you. That's all it is. It's just accountability for us. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. We're going to begin in Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And He, that's Jesus again, He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, "'No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. "'And he said to them, "'Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. "'And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, "'shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them.' "'So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent.' And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we would be your people going out proclaiming your word. Lord God, proclaiming the day of the Lord is at hand and the release of the captives. Lord God, may we be those who grant liberty to the prisoners. Father God, may we be those who are so consumed by and compelled by your word that it leaks out. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we've got a responsibility to be faithful and obedient to Christ and His commandments, but at the end of the day, all you can do is sort of all you can do. I don't know if you're like me, but if you are, then you are a human being who is limited by certain things within you. At the end of the day, all I can do is all that I can do. I can't do anything else. I have a lawnmower that is as old as Wyatt. So I guess that's 11. I remember when I bought it. I have a lawnmower. It's 11 years old. It's still running. Matter of fact, somebody in the church did some, some welding on it for me last year and, and made it run, or excuse me, got got the, the, the blade and deck fixed for me. Um, but I was cutting grass Friday and as I was cutting, it just, it just quit, the, 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 the blade quit. So I pulled it onto the, the driveway to try and figure out why the blade wouldn't engage. And when I got it parked, I noticed a puddle of oil up under it and uh, diagnosed this problem and that. Yes, yeah, some of you are going, yes, you got a new lawnmower. No, no, we are still going to nurse that thing along because it's paid for. It's paid for. But you know, when it's all said and done, all I can do to that lawnmower is just kind of all I can do. It is what, it's an 11-year-old lawnmower and it's it's been used, it's been semi-abused at times and all I can do is all I can do and I just got to be satisfied with it. Folks, that might not be the best illustration, but at the same time, we've got to be comfortable doing all we can do when it comes to serving God's kingdom and caring well for the people around us. Do you know that as much as I would like to, I can't, open up people's skulls, and pour into them my ideas and my desires and my intentions. It doesn't matter how much I may want to. The reality is I alone cannot change a single human being on the face of the planet. Do you know that? Do you know that I can't even change my children? That's a hard thing for we as parents to stomach. Now, I can guide them, I can discipline them, I can do all those things, and in so doing, I can pray that through that process, the Lord is going to change and reorient their desires and their passions. But at the end of the day, all I can do is all I can do. And when it comes to serving the Lord and honoring Him with our works, all we can do is all we can do. And to some degree, that's what we get in this passage in Mark chapter 6. Jesus gives the disciples some marching orders. But when it's all said and done, Jesus says, you do your job. And then once you've done your job, your job is really all you can do. And we trust it up to the Lord in that moment. But my question to you this morning is, have you done all you can do? Have you actually done all you can do? Or have you just thrown up your hands and said, you know what, forget it. Look with me at this passage this morning. Jesus sends out the twelve. He called them and began to send them out. He, how did He send them? Two by two. And He sent them out in his, authority. in his authority. You are called to go out in the authority of Jesus. But check this out. Up to this point in Mark, we don't actually perceive of some incredibly spiritually mature disciples, do we? As a matter of fact, up to this point... They've really been more of a hindrance than a help in the spread of the gospel. They've not exactly been gospel superstars. They've been sort of in the way. They haven't had great faith. They haven't really believed as they should have. They've just kind of been there. And yet Jesus looks at them and he sends them out. I'm going to send you out. And he gives them what? I give you my authority over unclean spirits. This is amazing. The good news for all of us is just like the demoniac and the woman at the well in John chapter 4, Jesus isn't waiting for us to be perfect to use us. Somebody should have said amen on that because none of y'all are really perfect. Somebody should be excited in here this morning that you are actually usable in God's service. He can use, thank you, I appreciate that. He can use you. Some of you are terrified because you thought you had an excuse up to this point. Well, I've only been a Christian for like eight months. There's no way that God could use me for anything, and nobody here could expect anything out of me. Guess what? The woman at the well met Jesus, and he sent her to work right away. The gathering demoniac has all the demons cast out. He says, let me go with you. Jesus says, there ain't room for you with me. There's work to be done back there. If you've loved Jesus for more than about ten minutes, he can use you. The disciples were failures up to this point. They were. Listen, they did not look like anything that any of us would picture as being the coming kings of the church, right? These guys didn't look like they were going to be leading the church. Nobody said, oh, there's Peter. He's going to stand up and preach, and thousands of people are going to be saved. Now, they looked at Peter and said, what in the world is this guy doing with that guy? They looked at Peter and said, why does Jesus keep hanging out with that doofus? He doesn't get anything. That Peter never shuts his mouth. He's always saying things and sticking his foot in his mouth. Like Peter's wife somewhere is probably going, what is going on? Peter's friends like, what? But look, they're not the big ones, right? The religious leaders who are already judging Jesus are looking at these men that Jesus has surrounded himself with and going, "If this guy were really a teacher, if he were really around, if he were really the Messiah, do you really think that he's surrounding himself with a bunch of just dumb fishermen and sinful tax collectors?" No. If he were the Messiah, he'd have somebody. And even Jesus is often frustrated with his disciples. Remember? As they crossed the sea, they were terrified. Jesus said, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And yet, these men who had so little faith and so often didn't understand everything that Jesus wanted from them and expected of them, and ultimately, even more importantly, Didn't really seem to have a firm grasp on who Jesus was and what it is that he came to do. These same men were sent out by Jesus as his ambassadors. Jesus didn't carefully vet them and go, Oh, look at their past. I can't use you. If these guys were running for political office in our day, they would not get elected. They wouldn't even make the ballot because there's no political party that's going to support them because they're going to dig up all kind of mess in their past. And the past seems to stick with them all the way up till now. They're not even sure right now how devoted they are to Jesus. And yet Jesus looks at them and says, I'm going to send you out with my name. You tell them Jesus sent you. Well, that's powerful, isn't it? When's the last time you went to somebody and said, why in the world are you here and you looked at me and said, I'm going to tell you something, Jesus sent me. Folks, we take that as sort of a cliche. We forget the power that is attached right there. He called me his brother, and then he said, would you go and handle my business? We don't just go in the name of Jesus. We go with the authority of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus gave them the authority to cast out demons or unclean spirits. Why? Because unclean spirits can't be cast out in any way other than through the power of Jesus. You don't have the power to do that. You don't have the power to heal. You certainly don't have the power to save. It is only in the name of Jesus that you can accomplish the things that Christ has called you to do. Interestingly, there's also a Jewish prophecy of the Messiah that claimed he would grant to his children the authority to trample on wicked spirits. When Jesus gave them this authority, this was another sign that the messianic rule had broken through. When Jesus sends them out and they show up and they say, Oh, Jesus gave us the power over unclean spirits. Any good Jew in that day would have known exactly what it was that Jesus was proclaiming. It's not an accident. This comes on the back end of Jesus revealing himself to his hometown there in the synagogue. I who speak to you am he. He said, in your hearing... This prophecy has been fulfilled. After having proclaimed that among his closest relatives and friends, he then looks at his disciples and says, I'm going to double down on this claim that I am the Messiah. So I'm giving you my authority. You go out in the power of the Messiah and you do the Messiah's work. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's what Jesus called you and I to do. To go in the authority of Jesus. We read this morning from from the Great Commission. All authority has been given to him. All authority. He doesn't just have a little bit of the authority. He doesn't just have parts of the authority. All authority has been given to him by the Father. And he gives us that authority to go And to proclaim the good news of Jesus. The first thing, go in the authority of Jesus. Number two this morning, trust in God's provision. Trust in God's provision. Jesus told them to take nothing because he wanted them to learn to rely on him. It's been said that we never learn to rely on Jesus until Jesus is all that we have. Folks, have you learned to rely on the Lord? Have you learned to trust him? Have you learned to trust Jesus in the day-to-day things of life? Have you learned to trust Him in the hard things of life? In the midst of hard things, consider that Christ has put you there in the midst of that hard thing. One of the claims of some is that God couldn't possibly know the future because if God did know the future, then God would never allow His people to suffer. Folks, that doesn't fit with the Word of God. It doesn't. Even in the midst of our most difficult days, we can have confidence that Jesus is with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And we can have confidence that he wasn't surprised. We might not understand why it is that God allowed it to happen. We might not understand why it is that God sent us there. But what we can understand with full confidence is when it's all said and done, all things work together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We can learn with the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. If you want to turn with me there this morning. As the Apostle Paul says, let's begin in verse 12. I know how to be brought low. No, verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 was never given to us so that football players could write it on their cleats and be reminded that's not what it's here for. There's nothing wrong with people proclaiming this. But this verse wasn't given to us so that you could run faster or jump higher. This verse wasn't given to you so you can make more money. I can make more money through Christ. Who, no! Look at what Paul's saying. Paul says that it doesn't matter what in the world life brings at me, I'm going to be okay. Not because I'm big enough or bad enough or strong enough or smart enough, but because I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me? Paul says, I am weak. I got nothing, but Jesus fills up every single need in my life. Do you trust in God's provision? You see, we have a tendency to talk primarily about finances. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm curious do you trust in God's provision in every aspect of your life? Do you trust that Jesus is enough? Do you really believe that? Do we really believe that no matter what life throws at us, that Jesus is and will continue to be enough? That's the lesson that the disciples needed to learn from Him in this. To trust in God's provision. What's it mean to be faithful to Jesus? We go out in the authority of Jesus. We trust in God's provision. I trust that no matter what comes... Christ is going to be enough. This doesn't mean that I sell everything and just rely on the good of others. That's not what this means. As a matter of fact, we know that this command is not always binding. In Luke chapter 22, there in Gethsemane, Jesus said to the disciples, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Jesus says to the disciples in this moment, Be prepared for what the world may bring. But that doesn't somehow negate the privilege, I will not even call it the responsibility, the privilege of relying completely upon Jesus to meet all of our needs. Do you have struggles in your home, struggles in your marriage? Do you know that Jesus is enough? Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus can bind you together with your spouse in a way that nothing else in the world can Are you concerned for your children? Have you given them to Jesus? Remember what I told you a minute ago? You can't fix them. You can't get over it. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. And at the end of the day, you're just not God. When I was younger, I had a friend that used to give me the you're not God talk. It was great for me. I would get down and depressed about just the way that things weren't going, or ministry wasn't working, or I wasn't able to help this person. Say, so, you know what? You're not God. Angela's taking that over as my wife. You're not God. Don't have a Messiah complex. Don't have a martyr complex. So what does that mean? You give it to Jesus. And then, but but look, y'all. <laughs> I'm going to take my glasses off for this one. Because sometimes we get this weird... I I don't even know. I'm trying to be nice about the way I say it. The only way I... This weird idea. Let's just stick with that. Let's just go with it. Where we go, well, I'm going to give it to Jesus and I'm going to walk away. What? No! No! because the Bible teaches us we got to keep bringing it to Jesus you don't lay it down and walk away with those things that burden your heart for your children for goodness sakes don't lay them down and walk away keep going to the throne room of grace and banging on the door Jesus Jesus listen dear God save my children is your marriage in turmoil? Don't buy the lie that you lay it at the altar and walk away. You keep going and you kick the floor. And you bang the door and you say, Lord God, take it. That's what it looks like to trust in the provision of Jesus. It doesn't mean that we don't keep going back. He told us that we keep going. Like the widow who keeps beating on the judge's door and say, give me justice. We continue to go to the throne room of grace and we beg, Lord God, Work. We don't go and say, Lord God, you can't. We go and we say, Lord God, I know you can and only you can. Would you work? Trust in the provision of God. Number three this morning, proclaim the gospel. What does it look like to be faithful as God's servants? Proclaim the gospel. Do not miss this. Until the gospel has been proclaimed, you have not engaged in either missions or evangelism. Period. Until the gospel has been proclaimed, you have not engaged in those things. You may have done nice things. You may have been a good person. But you have not engaged in missions or evangelism. They went out and they proclaimed. Look at verse 12. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. Now it's interesting. The gospels don't seem to differentiate greatly between... What we might speak of as sort of mission and evangelism. Though again, I want to acknowledge that there is no mission without the gospel. The gospels gospels don't seem to differentiate greatly between feeding the hungry, healing the sick, casting out demons, and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Why? Because as we proclaim the kingdom of God, and we do these things, we are actually becoming kingdom bearers. Jesus said, I make all things new. Don't miss this. A larger eschatological, that's a big theological word that just means big picture end, of the, end time, or teleological that says look at where we're headed. A larger worldview perspective of the gospel helps us to understand that what the purpose of the gospel is, is to bring in, usher in the kingdom of God. When we proclaim the gospel, what we are doing is inviting people to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And when we invite them with the gospel, we don't just say, you should come. We give them a paid ticket. And we say, you should come. Here's the way you get there. Will you accept it? The gospel is not the kingdom of God. The gospel is the invitation to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, remember, is the rule of God. Under the people of God and the place... I've got that all backwards. Let me start over because I can't say it if I don't say it in order. It's the people of God and the place of God under the rule and the blessing of God. The purpose of Jesus coming as the Messiah was to bring the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the undoing of sin in our world. There's a reason that the Bible... The the Bible. The Bible. Would y'all smile a little bit? Y'all look a little depressed today. I feel like we're we're coming on with some pretty exciting things, and I'm not seeing it out there. The Bible begins and ends in the same place. The Bible, more than any other story that the world has ever known, comes full circle. So we begin in the Garden of Eden, and we end in the Garden, essentially, of Eden. We begin with a tree of life, we end with lots of trees of life. We begin with a river, we end with a river. Why? Why? Because Jesus came to undo everything that we've done. See, God put His people in His place under His rule and blessing in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1. And it is God's intention at the end of all things to have His people in His place under His rule and His blessing. Jesus is the centerpiece of history. Because Jesus is the one that is going out and finding those who have been taken captive by the evil one and bringing them home. You see? And so even as we proclaim the gospel and we do these other things, what we are doing is we are giving people a glimpse of what the kingdom is. When I feed the hungry, I look exactly like the prophecies in the Old Testament that says, come and eat without money. Come drink with nothing to offer. When I touch the sick, I look kind of like Jesus, don't I? Touching the sick and bringing them healing. When I care for the poor, I sound a lot like Jesus. A lot like the injunction of the Old Testament prophets. Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim it. But we proclaim it not only with our mouths. No, I said not only with our mouths, but with our hands and with our feet. Now let's back up. You can't proclaim it without your mouth. If you come to me and you say, well, I did, God, I, I, I've been doing missions, but I haven't been telling anybody. No, you've not been doing missions. You've been doing nice things. It's possible that you've been laying the groundwork and doing some pre-evangelistic work. You might have a plan, and that's fine. You might be feeding the same family for the next four weeks, and your plan is that on the fourth week you're going to walk in there and you're going to drop the gospel bomb. That's all right. That sounded bad, but it's still okay. Right? Right? It's all right, whatever we're going to do, but just make sure that there's proclamation. Proclaim the gospel. That's why they were sent out. You know, it's interesting in other gospel accounts. So here he says they went out and proclaimed that the people should repent. In other gospel accounts, in, in, in Matthew and in Luke, he says that they they proclaimed the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But repent is not in Matthew and Luke, and yet right here it is in Mark. Why? Because it's understood in those two things. Just don't miss it. You can't enter into the kingdom of God unless you have repented. You can't be the person that you are and, and expect to become the citizen of another kingdom. It's not the way it works. Nobody gets to come and say, You know what? I want to become a citizen of the United States. And I'm going to continue to be a citizen of Lithuania. No, you have to. Choose. You've got to come in and you say, "I am going to renounce that citizenship and take on this." To enter into the kingdom of God is to say, "I am going to renounce my citizenship in the kingdom of man. I'm no longer my own person. I'm no longer my own king. The kingdom of Craig is dead, and the kingdom of God is mine." But watch this. Nobody gets to be neutral when it comes to Jesus. And it's super important for you to hear me this morning. No one gets to be neutral when it comes to Jesus. You either accept him or you reject him. And for those who reject Jesus, their punishment is just. Now, we tend, as, as I think I've said this several times in recent weeks, we tend to sort of G rate the Bible and, and create it as a children's story. And we G-rate Jesus. To some degree, we even feminize Jesus. We make Him just as nice and cuddly as we possibly can. And Jesus becomes the sweet, somewhat crazy uncle that only gives you good gifts. But read with me, verse 10. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart. Now, the point point that Jesus was saying to His disciples is don't house-hop. If they'll have you, then respect those folks and respect their hospitality enough to stay right there. Somebody offers you a better place. No, no, you're good where you are. Stay. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. We can gloss over that. Now, I I don't... um, We can gloss over that if we're not careful. Like, we can read this whole thing and say, look at how awesome Jesus sent the people out to proclaim the good news and to cast out demons. But there's this other verse that gets tucked in. If they will not receive you, if they will not listen, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony. Now that sounds kind of strange, right? Watch this. There was a Jewish custom in the time that when you left the Holy Land, so you left Pal- you left the, 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 the Holy Area, and you went out in other parts, maybe Palestine, you went wherever. You went traveling, let's say you went down to Egypt. On the way back in, and I, like, when I read this, I'm, I'm curious if there was like a road sign. It would be awesome if there's like a sign. Shake your feet here. Okay? On the way in, it was customary that you were to shake the dust from your feet, wipe off your sandals, and maybe shake off your robe before you actually crossed into the Holy Land, lest you bring defiled dirt onto God's property. Remember the kingdom of God... Always had with it an understanding of property. The people of God in the place of God. We will one day again be in the physical place of God in the new Jerusalem when God creates his new creation. There was an understanding from Old Testament people. There continues to be an understanding from the Jews today that there is a special place that is God's place. And when they walked into God's place, they shook off the curse and they walked into the blessing. Jesus says, if they won't accept you, then as a public testimony against them. Now this wasn't something they were supposed to do in the night. They were supposed to make sure people were looking. And you shake off the dust when you leave that cursed place and you walk back out into God's promise. You look at them and you say, you are Gentiles and you are separated from the promises of God. See, we don't get all that in our English readings, do we? We don't get all that in our American understanding. Jesus doesn't seem quite as nice right here. But he might not be nice, but he is loving because Jesus says, you give them a warning in every way possible. The people have to know that to reject Jesus is to reject hope and to reject the kingdom of God. Folks, it's important that as we proclaim the gospel that we be willing to talk about the curse that comes for those who will not trust Christ. Hell is a very real place. And it is reserved for those who reject Jesus. And if you're here today, within the sound of my voice, Hear me say this, God is just in sending you to burn eternally in hell if you will not accept Jesus as your Savior. And Jesus was to tell His disciples to make sure there was no confusion. He says, once you have proclaimed the good news, once you have urged them to come, if they still will not repent, Jesus says, you make sure you leave them. With one final message. Judgment is coming. Folks, the imperative to proclaim the gospel is heavy. Because judgment awaits those who will not give their lives to Christ. Judgment awaits you today. If you will not give your life to Jesus Christ. You see, the good news of the kingdom of God is that even though you are sinful and deserve punishment in hell, Jesus came and died so that you could live. Would you come to Jesus today and live? Would you come to Jesus? Would you go and tell others the good news? Then finally this morning, would you rest in God's sovereignty? It's one of those big theological words, sovereignty. You know what it means? It means that God is in control. This is tough on my kids. I don't know why. I guess because they're sinners just like their daddy. They don't like for anybody to be in control. And they certainly don't like for things to be going on if they don't know what it is. Heaven forbid. Y'all ever done this? You look at at one of your kids and say, Hey, we're going to do something special tomorrow. What is it? I'm not going to tell you. Well, I, 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 I want to know. Well, I don't care. I'm not going to tell you. Well, how do I know I'll like it? You don't, but you know me. Have I ever let you down? Now, my kids are getting older, and that's not a fair question to ask because they keep a catalog, you know? You remember that TV show you wanted us to watch, and it was dumb? Or, you know, my, last night, it was, well, what about that book I told you to read? And I got this, oh, oh, well, I didn't actually read it. I read the end of it, and it seemed ridiculous, so I didn't read it at all. What? What? It's a good book. That was from one of them. The other one said, I started that one. And I don't know why anybody would read that. Y'all, we, we want to know, don't we? We, we want to know. I want all the answers. You see, when we talk about banging on the door of heaven... Unfortunately, very few of us are willing to consistently go and beat on the door of heaven and say, Lord God, save my family. Lord God, take care of my kids. Lord God, Lord God, make me your servant. Give me faithfulness. But man, we love to go and bang on the door of heaven and say, God, I don't understand why I'm going through this. Why me, God? Man, When's the last time that you were willing to go to the Lord and, and, and pray as diligently for others as you are to pray that God would just give you an answer? It's too hot today, God. Why am I having to go through this? Woe is me. Jesus sent them out, told them to cast the dust off, and then to walk away. Jesus didn't tell them to stay there and and, and complain and moan, he told them to walk away. And what were the disciples to do in the midst of that? They were to trust that Jesus knew what in the world he was doing. Y'all, can I tell you, Christian, can I tell you this today? If you have faithfully shared the gospel, if you've been in fervent prayer for those folks to be changed and to be saved, if you have faithfully sought to do Christ's work and it's not turned out the way you thought it should, can I urge you today? Trust the Lord, trust in God's sovereign plan. He's in control, He is in control. He's in control. One last time, He is in control. Some of you need to look in the mirror three or four times a day and say, Lord God, you are in control. Some of you need to use your phone and kind of like FaceTime yourself because you don't have a mirror all the time and say, He's in control. Maybe you need to record a video so that you can play it back to yourself three or four times a day. He's in control. He's got it. But, 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 but nothing. He's got it. And He's a good Father that loves us. He's an amazing guy who has full understanding of the world and knows exactly what is best. Y'all, do you know that once you've done all you can do, once you've ministered in the power of Jesus and proclaimed the gospel and invited others to experience God's love, you've done all you can do. And then you must rest in God's sovereignty. You rest in the fact that God knows what He's doing. You're not responsible to save anybody. You are not responsible to save anybody. You are responsible to invite You're responsible to plead. You're responsible to proclaim. But then you're responsible to trust and rest in the Lord. Rest in God's sovereignty and prayer. Go to the Lord. Beat on the door of heaven. But as you do, trust Him. One of the funnest things for me as a dad is when my kids finally look and they go... Okay. I so say, you, you see what we did right there? Yeah. W- 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 how is it? Oh, it's great. And we always use that as a teachable moment or maybe just an opportunity to gloat, whichever term you want to use. Say, see, I told you, you have to trust Daddy. You got to trust me. I actually know what I'm doing. do you trust that the Lord actually knows what He's doing? He does. He created the world and everything in it. Every blessing you've ever known has come from His hand. And even the bitter moments of your life, He's been in control of. He knows what He's doing. And you can trust Him. You can trust Him with your relationships. You can trust him with your friends. You can trust him with your family members. You can trust him with the salvation of those you hold most dearly. You can trust him with your own salvation. Because those who are in the hand of Christ can never be pried out. You can trust him with your past. Do you know that? Do you? You can trust him. My kids have been wrestling with what does it mean that Jesus casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, kids are great so, because they take things literally. And Brooklyn says, well, how far is that? Well, it's a long way. But how far? I don't know. That's the point. Sloan takes a, liter- a different kind of literal way. Well, what do they look like? Brooklyn takes it and says, oh, so whatever they look like, all of them, he just throws them away. I mean, I, I'm just, I don't, I don't even know how to answer that. We're sitting at the kitchen table. Right? We, we've taken a turn that, I mean, it's like they ask me, how, can God make a rock so big that God can't move it? I don't know what to tell you guys. Well, they're satisfied with the answers that we give them because they're kids and they trust with a childlike faith. You know, you can trust God with your past because he takes your sins and casts them as far away as the east is from the west. Do you know that? Do you, do you know that you can trust him with your past because he can even take your mess and make you usable in his kingdom? Did you know that? It doesn't matter what mess you have. you know how messed up you are? God'll find somebody more messed up than you, and He'll send you there to talk to him. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, how, how many of Put your hand? How many of you look at my, my life was messed up, but God sent me somebody even more messed up so I could give them my story. Isn't that right? That's what he does. Some of you are scared to put your hand up. We all know it happened to all of you. Some of you have told me. I know. Some of you have been to me and said, well, how in the world could my past be a benefit to anybody? And then lo and behold, somebody walks in the door. And you listen to them and you go, whoa, I thought I had it rough. Now this guy's messed up. But you look at him and you say, I got great news. Just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, Jesus came in and saved me. You can trust him with your past. You can trust Him with your future. This morning you can trust Jesus. I don't want to shake the dust from my feet with any of you here today. I don't want any of you to walk out under the curse of sin. I'd rather instead that you come today and receive the full blessing of Jesus. You see, because there is laid up for each one of you a home in heaven, if you will but receive Jesus. You say, I can't do it. (laughs) Good. You're not supposed to. He did it all on the cross of Calvary. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me and you and all those in the world who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you come today and be saved? Would you come today? Maybe you won't lay those burdens down and walk away from them. Maybe today can be the day that you begin the process of giving them over to Jesus every single day. Maybe today begins that that years-long process of banging on the door of heaven every day and saying, Lord God, here I am. Maybe today is the day that you lay your sin down, though, and you say, Lord God, I've been carrying this far long enough. You died to forgive me. Guess what? You'll stand up from that prayer. You know what Jesus does in that moment? He calls you brother. He calls you sister. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. And then he says, I don't care who you were. You are now a child of the king, and you can take my name with you. Everywhere you go, because I will claim you in front of everybody. What a blessing. He's never ashamed, and he's never embarrassed, and he's always ready to receive you just as you are. Would you come today? Pray with me. Father in heaven, you are good to us. You give us good gifts. Lord God, our greatest gift is Jesus, who bled and died on Calvary's tree. Father, as these musicians come, Father God, I pray. That you would work in the power of your Holy Spirit. That the word of God that has been preached, Lord God, would, would penetrate hearts and lives. I pray, Lord God, that as we look in the mirror and ask the question of whether or not we've trusted in you, Lord God, that today we'd be honest. Father, for those who walked in here under the curse of sin, I pray they would walk out today under the blessing of salvation. I pray, Lord God, that you would give them courage to come forward and receive Jesus. That, Father God, any excuses that may exist, that, Lord God, you would wipe them away. Lord God, you would bring them forth. Lord God, they would give you everything. You would become their all in all. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing this morning? God, take us back.